Well, we are continuing our seasonal series, and uh, this isn't the last installment. I know tomorrow's Christmas, but there's still two more installments, and I can't leave you hanging. So this will not be the last question of Christmas. So be encouraged or discouraged. If you're the one that doesn't like Christmas carols, then maybe you're discouraged by Christmas questions too. I don't know. But anyway, but uh, we have Christmas questions, and uh, last, or two weeks ago, we asked the question, why Bethlehem? You know, this little town of Bethlehem, and, and unfortunately, because of the events in the Middle East, Bethlehem is, is practically a ghost town today. They're, they're not having uh, their typical celebrations and things. They will have a midnight service there in the Church of the Nativity, um, but it's, it's not the same. But we talked about why Bethlehem? And then we talked about why were there no rooms in the end? Did God just forget to make that booking? Or did that booking agent take the reservation, but she didn't remember to hold the reservation? And, um, and we've been talking a little bit, a little Christmas trivia, a little fun, a little, a little fun. I got to use one of my jokes twice, and I'm very excited about that. So I wanted to give you, and I feel like this is a little bit of salt in the wound, and I didn't mean it to be, but I wanted to give you a little bit of random trivia today. So this is it. In the United States, the official definition of a white Christmas is that there has to be at least one inch of snow depth on the ground on the 25th of December. And in our area, that has only happened four times in recorded history. It seems like more, doesn't it? Huh? Oh, man. Hey, it's nice the Grinch comes to Christmas. But it's only happened officially four times. Uh, In 2009, uh, and I think that was Super Bowl year, wasn't it? When the NFL doesn't give us a Super Bowl anymore. We'll show them. Uh, 2002, 1975, and 1943. The coldest on history's record is 1983. When it was 7 degrees with a high of 13. So some of you aren't missing the fact that it's not going to be 7 degrees. And so, um, and and one other thing. What do you call people who are afraid of Santa Claus? Do we have anyone here who's afraid of Santa Claus? Listen. (laughs) You know, I don't have very much... And now you people are taking what I have. Well, there you have it. Okay. Yes, it's claustrophobic. I guess I'll go on then. Yeah. And that's not even on the online notes. So today we ask the question, why the shepherds? Uh, I had a chance to go and watch a film uh, a week ago Thursday, and it addressed the coming of the Lord from the shepherd's perspective. And, you know, we, we think about the shepherds, we talk about the shepherds, we might even sing about the shepherds, but do we really think about why? Why the shepherds? I mean, it's, it seems, it doesn't seem logical, but the great thing it is, is about almost everything about the birth of Christ is illogical. You know, the location is illogical. You know, why would the king of kings and the Lord of lords be born in a small town in Bethlehem? And we talked about that. So today we're going to look at why the shepherds. And I, I think this is going to be one of the best messages because 
when we think of shepherds and we, we identify shepherds for who they are and where they are in, in society at the time, I can identify with the shepherds. And I think you will be able to. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit, shall we? Our account comes from Luke, the second chapter. And in the same region, there was a shepherd. There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And, be, and the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring good news and great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel uh, and suddenly was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. One of the things we think about as the shepherds receiving the message is this would have been an incredible event. The fact that one angel shows up, I've seen I've encountered a few people in my life that I've wondered if maybe I had in, entertained an angel unaware. And then I've had countless people in my lives that were, that were angel-like. But I don't know that I've ever seen an angel. But can you imagine being out in the darkness of the night, looking only at the, scar, the stars that God provided, and then an angel appears to you? And tells you what you were just told. And then not only an angel, but then a whole host. And what does a host look like? A lot. That's, I think in the Greek, that's the, that's the official definition. A lot. And they begin to sing this announcement. I can't imagine. Tonight, when you're going from one place or another, I would encourage you to stop just a moment and look up into the night sky, if we can see into it, and try to imagine yourself in that place, on that hillside, with those animals, doing what you've been doing maybe all of your life. And then God's angelic host step in. It would be earth-shattering. It would be terrifying. It would be exhilarating. <clears throat> it would be life-changing. On that night, when the Savior was born... Who received the invitation to greet them? <coughs> you know, you think about invitations. Alan's already getting ready to move. I can see him. And I actually had a cough drop, but I don't know where it is. So I've... Maybe the Grinch took it. But on the night that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was born... Who gets the invitation? It wasn't emperors. It wasn't priests. It wasn't prophets. It wasn't soldiers. It wasn't scholars. When God stepped into humanity, who gets the invitation to be the first to come and see? See, we, we forget the, the privilege. Now, 
I got to tell you, one of the greatest privileges of my particular ministry is on the occasion when I get to hold those new babies. And I want you to know, I've held some new babies before many other people got to hold those babies. <laughs> they invite the pastor in, and you come in, and you just, and you hold that little baby, and you look over at those young parents, and you go, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, we all know what that means. It's a special privilege to be invited in in that that beautifully tender moment of this new family paradigm and to be invited in to be that close to it. And when God was born into humanity, it's important who got the first invitation. You see, we just get over it to get on with the story. But somebody had to be the first. And whoever the first was, guess what? They were the first. There's no getting to do over. God was setting a precedent for a reason, I believe. The honor was reserved for the lowest of the low, for the least educated of men, for ranch hands who were despised by the locals whose clothes gave off a stench of the field, those who lacked the most basic of manners, and perhaps, thank you so much, whose language may have been unfit for your children's ears. Now that doesn't sound like who would be invited to the birthday of the king of kings. But it's who was. I like uh, what... uh, William Barclay has to say, it's a wonderful thing that the first announcement of God uh, came to some shepherds. Shepherds were despised by the Orthodox people of the day. Now, Orthodox, that's just religious. And then there's ultra-Orthodox, and that's just, yeah, I'm going to say it, Ronnie. The jerkish religious people. Yeah. Listen, if you you put ultra-Orthodox on there, you might be a jerk. Now, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. It's Christmas Eve. But these people that were invited were looked down upon, were shunned, and were separated out from the Orthodox people of the day. They weren't able to keep the details of the ceremonial law. They didn't deserve all the meticulous hand-washing and rules and regulations. Yet it was these simple men of the field God sent the messengers to first. It wasn't how often you washed your hands that qualified you to see the baby first. It wasn't where you worked that qualified you to see the baby first. It wasn't how much your bank account held to qualify you to see the baby first. No, God said, I want the shepherds to see my son. I want the rejected of society. I want those who raise the animals that are deemed holy and righteous for the sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem. But those same priests won't even hardly look at these men. But they'll take the products of their work. God says, I want those men whom everyone else is kind of put off into the shadows you need those men you want those men and God gave invitation first to those men and he invited them to a few things one to see the message of the helpless savior 
Max Lucado, which I think is, it's just not right that a man can teach and write like this. If he can sing, then I'm really mad. <laughs> Max Lucado describes it like this. The helplessness of the Savior when he writes, he looks anything but like a king. His face is prunish and red. His cry, although strong and healthy, is still the helpless, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby, and he is absolutely dependent upon Mary for his well-being. Majesty in the midst of the mundane. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entered the world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenager into the presence of a carpenter. The baby had once overlooked the entire universe. These rags keeping him warm were the robes of eternity. His golden throne room has been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. And worshiping angels have been replaced with the kind but bewildered shepherds. The Christmas story is beautiful, but the real beauty is way beyond what we run past every year. God, our Savior Jesus, gave up everything to come and be with us. And it's a beautiful story, and it's a wonderful story, but it's a story we need to slow down and enjoy the peripherals. It's the peripherals that make it powerful. It's the peripherals that make it, make it so appealing that Jesus would lay aside all that he had to step into all that we have. So we see that he was a helpless Savior. Second, he was a humble Savior. If Jesus had come to the Jews as expected, cultured and predicted as a king, then anyone who felt beneath that status would have never received him. Think about it. How many of you, if you were invited to go to the White House, you'd go, oh man, I just don't know if I deserve that. How many people would have not considered Jesus had he came the way he was expected to come. He came humble and helpless so that no one in the world then and no one in the world now can say, I'm too sinful for him. I'm too insignificant for him. I'm too inconsequential for him. He's opened the door for us all, no matter who we are and where we come from. Amen. It's a completely different paradigm. God, in sending his son through the manger of Bethlehem, seems as if he is setting a tone for his entire life. His entire message God brought a delegation of shepherds to be the first to worship and to celebrate. He set a tone. 
Who's welcomed in the presence of the Savior? Everybody. It started at the lowest, and it's invited all the way up to the most of the most. And isn't it an interesting idea that those who have the most sometimes wrestle the hardest to see the Savior? But those who have the least can see him simply and clearly. It's an interesting thing, almost like God knew what he was doing. We see a helpless Savior, we see a humble Savior, and lastly, we see a heavenly Savior. Philippians tells us this, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Hmm. He came to earth because we couldn't go to heaven. But ultimately, as our heavenly Savior, he came down so that we one day can go up. Isn't it an interesting thing when you get invited someplace? You know, I get invitations to go overseas and I get excited about that and, you know, all those things. I'd get more excited if someone said, hey, I'm going to pay your way. Wouldn't that change change your travel plans? Yes. Hey, I'm in London. We'd like for you to come for Christmas. And guess what? I'm going to pay for your trip. Giddy up. (laughs) Jesus came. If it's free, it's for me. Someone asked, I got to tell the other half, because someone asked me one time, hey, if I ever won the lottery, would, would you take an offering to the church? I said, devil's had it long enough. <laughs> but Jesus came down so that you and I, through grace and faith, one day may go up. Heaven was not my home until Jesus came. Heaven was not my home until a January morning in 1987. But today... Jesus, heaven is my home. Not because I deserve to go. Not because I could pay the price for the trip, but because of Jesus. The King of kings and the Lord of lords who began his earthly life in the lowest of lows. So that someone who lived their life as the lowest of lows could go to heaven one day. So let's quickly look at the shepherd's response. They followed the angels simple instructions and made their way to Bethlehem. No excuses. Boy, we could come up with excuses, can't we? I know what the Bible says, but without delay, well, you know, I can't make it right now. And then the third one, I think is the best one, without caveat, without setting terms. Well, you know, angel, if I go to Bethlehem and see this baby, um, I'm going to have to clock out, you know, and let's say I got to walk over. It's like an hour. Then I want to hang out a little while. So I'm going to need you to make up like that three hours on that clock. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, I want to confess to you today 
that if I'm not careful, unlike the shepherds, I can make excuses, I can find reasons to delay, and I just might make caveats. That's the human nature of us. But the beautiful thing about that night and those shepherds, as the text gives to us, is when the angels gave them simple instructions, they made no excuses, they accepted no delays, and they expected no caveats. Oh, that we all, beginning with myself, might follow the Lord in that way. Who, <clears throat> who are the first people to receive Christ as Savior? I think it's at least 50-50 we can say the shepherds. Who are the oldest family of faith to you and I today? Those shepherds who came out of nowhere to see the one who could give them everything. Wow, that's awesome. You know, they say there's gonna be two surprises in heaven, right? The people you never expected to be there who are and the people you always expected to see who aren't. I hope I'm not counted among that second group. I can't imagine you guys walking around heaven going, Jimmy. Hey, Paul, have you seen Pastor Jimmy? I don't know that name. It was not enough to hear the message. Believing is not hearing. Believing is responding to what you hear. We can hear instructions. We can hear directions. We can hear warnings. We can hear words of love and acceptance. But the hearing isn't enough. The Bible says that we should not be just hearers of the word only. But what? We must be doers of the word. They were told simply and explicitly what to do. And they heard it. But then they did it. Believing and obedience are a kind of twin word. When the angels told them what to do, they obeyed and they expressed their faith. Brothers and sisters, it is, it's not always easy, but it's, it's the most effective way that we express our faith in simply doing what God calls us to do. And they told everyone their lives would never be the same again I don't know where you are about sharing your faith. A lot of people are afraid of it, and I understand. Because if you're like me, you think, man, if I share my faith, they're going to ask me a question I can't answer. That's okay. Don't be afraid of that. They're going to ask me a question maybe I don't want to answer. Okay, you can have boundaries. That's not a problem. Witnessing isn't some deep theological arm wrestling. Witnessing is simply telling other people what God has done in your life. That's what it is. Witnessing isn't dragging someone up here in a headlock. Witnessing is simply saying this, I once was this, but now I'm this. And the difference between the two is Jesus. And it's even easier because you go, this person was imperfect and this person is too. I was a sinner and I am a sinner. But the difference between the old me and the new me is that Jesus lives inside of me. And Jesus has forgiven me 
of my trespasses and sins. And Jesus has promised me one day heaven. Do I deserve it? No. No, I don't deserve it. Am I trying to live a life that shows gratitude? I certainly am. Gratitude changes everything. And what God has done for me, my friend, God can do for you. Not because I say so, but because God has proved it so. You see, I just witnessed to you. See, that's not scary. We don't have to get mad. It's all good. That's why I want to encourage you to ask the Lord just for one. Just for one. Maybe right now you say, Lord, just give me one person in my life that I can pray for, that I can invest in, that I might be able to have spiritual conversation with, maybe invite them to church with me. Just one. Just one. And if you'll take five minutes a day, doesn't matter what time of the day, doesn't matter where you are, five minutes, and, and maybe read a portion of scripture, that would be awesome, and, and pray a prayer of thanksgiving from your heart to the heart of God. Share with God what's heavy on your heart. Guess what? He cares. And then pray for that individual. Pray for what you know. And then maybe just pray God would bless them. God, just bless them as they're going through or whatever. Just, and give me an opportunity to share my faith. Would you have the courage and conviction like the shepherds to ask the Lord for just one? And you'll be surprised the difference it'll make in your life. And you just might get that opportunity. How do I know that? Well, because my friend Les Fields asked the Lord for one. And you know who that one is? It's me. I'm so glad he was asking for one. Lastly, for those of us who can claim Christ and he claims us, this time of year is different than most of the world will experience. Yes, we have all the wonderful trappings of Christmas. Yes, we have some of the same tensions and stress. I mean, we all, right? But Christmas is different when you know the Savior. I remember my first Christmas as a believer. And, and it was markably different. And it's markably different now than it was then. Because the light and the hope that we have in Jesus is what a lot of the world tries to create the whole world points towards Christmas. Man, come about March or so when the world starts getting kind of crazy, everyone starts going, man, I can't wait till Christmas. You know why? Because it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you are. Christmas offers something special. The lights, the sounds, the music, the food. Listen, you're going to leave here today and the whole world's going to start slowing down. Do you remember the first time you drove past Walmart and the parking lot was empty? Listen, that only happens at Christmas and the rapture. <laughs> and the second one probably isn't true. 
I remember driving through the Walmart parking lot thinking, look at this. (laughs) Statue of limitations hasn't expired. Listen, it doesn't matter. The whole world sees the 25th of December as something that is unique, that gives us something that the rest of the year doesn't give us. And we long for it, and we work hard to buy it, and we work hard to create it, and we spend a lot of money. But for those of us that claim the Savior and the Savior claims us, that, that little something is something we carry all year long. Christmas is just a plus one. The world will quickly come to know. Probably about tomorrow at about 10.30 a.m. When all the gifts are unwrapped, all the anticipation is now experienced, all the breakfast is eaten, guess what happens? You get that Christmas let down. Why? Because this anticipation of this, this light and this joy, this, this peace on earth, this camaraderie among men, all of this that's built up to this day, which is awesome, that the world seeks to create begins to fall away. And then New Year's comes, and that, that light that was created by the season through the world's prospects dims a little more and then it might be completely snuffed out as soon as the credit card bills arrive (laughs) why because the light of the world the prince of peace the joy to the world that lasts all year long was birthed in a manger And those who claim him and he claims them, we can carry this light every day in our hearts and in our minds and through our hands and our feet. If you have not received Christ as your personal Savior, my friend, why not today? Why not right now? I promise you, it will change things. This is really kind of neat. We don't typically do communion on Christmas Eve. But this year, we get the best of both worlds. And the beautiful thing about communion is it reminds us. It calls us back to the sacrifice that Christ gave his life for us. It calls us back to the community of saints beginning in that upper room. It calls us back to that day when we receive Christ as our Savior by faith. And it calls us back into the fellowship of the saints around the world today. And it calls us back to the remembrance that one day we'll have no need of doing this ever again. Why? Because we will be with the Savior we won't be called to remember the Savior. And so today, we are going to celebrate and remember the Lord through communion. And today, we're going to do it just a scotch different. Typically, the deacons will come and they will pass the elements out to you.
But today, we're going to do it a little different. In just a moment, Jeff and Melinda are going to come. Josh and Sarah are going to come. And we're going to break the bread. And then you're going to come by. And they're going to hand you a morsel of bread. And you'll dip it in the cup. And you'll take the morsel to yourself. It's just a little different way of doing it. A little more intimate way of doing it. And we practice a symbolic communion, which simply means this, that this is juice and this is bread. There is no, there is no transformative or, or, or spiritual powers connected with these. They're symbols of the Lord's sacrifice for us. He gave this to us on the night he was betrayed, <coughs> leading into his crucifixion for our sins. And this is the physical gift that we have that connects us with all the believers all the way back to that upper room. And it connects us to all the believers around the world today. And it will connect us to the believers that will come behind us for as long as the Lord tarries his return. This is a celebratory meal. A love feast, they used to call it way back in the day. And we're going to share it together. If, uh, let's see. Yes, I think that's instruction enough. <clears throat> so also, I would like for us to pray. The scripture calls us to search our hearts and to prepare our hearts before we take the meal. And what I would ask us today is this. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you a simple question. Have you received God's gift in his son, Jesus? Are you, what the Bible says, born again? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, right now would be a great time to do it. We're not asking you to join this church. We're not asking you to break open your wallet. We're not asking you for anything. Except, would you receive Christ to be your Savior today? <clears throat> Believing that He and He alone can forgive you of your sins, and that He and He alone can give you the authority to claim heaven as your home when this life on earth is through. If you're here today and you'd like to receive Christ, you can whisper a prayer from your heart to the heart of God. And I would pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Father, I admit that I cannot earn my way to heaven, but I can only receive my way. <coughs> and that comes through receiving your son. And right now, with the best faith that I have, with the understanding that I have, I ask your son Jesus to be my savior. I receive his gift of Calvary for me. God, I ask that you would help me to know you and to love you more each and every day. And Father, I thank you for the hope and the home of one day heaven. In Jesus' name.
My friend, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's the faith that saves you. The Bible says, for by grace through faith are you saved, lest any man should boast. And if that is your sincere faith prayer from your heart to the heart of God, my friend, this is for you. For those of us who claim Christ and Christ claims us, we'd ask ourselves, are we living in harmony with the Lord? The scripture warns us, brothers and sisters, that we not live in deliberate and knowing disobedience. And if we are in that state right now, we have two options. One is to repent. Confess your sin and repent. The second is this, to simply let this cup pass you by. The scripture warns us as believers not to take the cup unworthily. And that's what it means. And so now each and every one of us ask the Lord to search our hearts as David did and say, Lord, if there's any unclean thing in me, Lord, bring it to your righteous light and call my spirit to repentance. And through your repentance, you can restore your fellowship. And this is for you. (coughs) And for the rest of you, you can say with all humility, Jimmy, I'm striving for the Lord and with the Lord. Some days I'm a hero and some days I'm a zero, but I'm striving and I'm living and I'm loving. Amen to you. Amen to you. This is for you. (coughs) Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you for the gift of the manger. Lord, that you would see fit in your love and mercy to step out of the throne room of eternity into the squalor of humanity. Lord, that you might live among us that you might live an example of holiness and sinlessness. Father, that you might show us what true love looks like. And then, Father, to give the perfect sacrifice. Not for the sins of your son, for he was sinless, but for the sins of all humanity, O Lord, of which I am the chief of sinners. Father, we thank you that on this Christmas Eve, we can celebrate the Savior of the season. Father, we thank you for our family of faith and our friends. Father, we thank you that we can share this precious moment together. Bind our hearts with the hearts of the church, the capital C church, the believers around the world this sacred day. And Father, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in the faith who walked their journey and now stand in their eternity. And Father, I pray for myself and for all of us, Lord, that we too might be found faithful by the saints that will come behind us When we step to you, 
Father, we love you and we thank you for the gift of Christmas. For it's in your son's name, our Savior's name, the babe of Bethlehem's name, we pray. Amen.